0: Who's ready to hear an inspirational intermittent fasting story? That's why we're here. So let's get excited to talk to today's guests. Hi, everybody, and welcome to episode 15 of Intermittent Fasting Stories. Today, I'm here with Rachel Awad. And Rachel is from Philadelphia, but has been living in Egypt for the past 22 years, where she works to run educational programs related to international development. Welcome, Rachel. Hi, Jen. That was a mouthful.
1: <laughs> Your job. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get it.
0: Well, anyway, I'm so glad to have you here with us today. It's awesome talking to, I think you're our first international guest. Oh, well. There you go. This is my first international podcast call. So (laughs) (laughs) we do have people listening from all over the world, though. That's That's true. That's exciting. So what brought you to intermittent fasting? I like to start with that.
1: Okay. So I think like so many of your listeners, I have a lifetime history of dieting. Starting probably from the age of 12 or 13, my mom took me to Weight Watchers. I think it was in the basement of our local library. I've done Weight Watchers probably five or six times since then. When I read in your book that you had done the carbohydrate addicts diet, I literally had never ever heard of anyone who'd ever heard of it before. And I had done that one and I had read the book and I'm like, oh my God, somebody else did it. Yes. So it was, it was how I knew we were like gonna be connected. Anyway, I, you know, I ate lettuce one summer, I did South Beach, I did, I, I've done them all. <laughs> so in about 2008, I hit my all time highest weight. I'd been bouncing up and down my whole life, constantly going higher. And I was close to 300 pounds. And I joined Weight Watchers and I said, "Okay, it's worked before. I'm going to do it. I was also at that time diagnosed with type 2 diabetes and high blood pressure. And within the first year, I lost about 60 pounds. And I was like, oh, this is great. And then I thought, I can do this on my own and gained it all back. (laughs) I sort of quit Weight Watchers, started tracking in my fitness pal, gained it all back. In 2014, a friend of mine sent me a link to Michael Mosley's video where he first introduced the 5-2 diet. And I read his book, and I started doing 5-2 with the two sort of 500-calorie days-a-week version. And it was great. And for a couple of years, I was losing slowly but consistently. And then I started sort of getting a little looser with my non-fasting days, and it turned into some binging kind of behavior. And of course, I wasn't clean fasting either. I was drinking lots of Diet Coke, lots of flavored teas, Crystal Light. So I decided, I think it was in 2016, I did his eight-week blood sugar diet. Where actually for eight weeks you're supposed to stick to no carbs, 800 calories a day. Wow! And I lost a lot of weight. It was insane. I lost. It was supposed to reverse diabetes, which it didn't do. I managed four weeks of it, lost a lot of weight, and probably gained it all back in a week. So then I went back to five two. Then in 2017, I was thinking about doing sixteen eight because I knew I had to gain control of my not fasting days on five two. I was actually in a forum for expats. And one of the people in that group was talking about 16-8. So there was a whole discussion. Wow. And someone in that group made a comment that anyone who's interested in doing this has to read a book called Delayed, Don't Deny by Gin Stevens. So I ordered the book. So that was in mm-hmm. September 17. I started on October 1st, 2017. I actually went back recently to that forum to search for the woman to find her comment. And I really want to kind of write to her and thank her. And she's not in any of your groups. I actually looked there too.
0: That's fabulous. I wonder who that is.
1: Well, I have her name, but she's not in your groups now.
0: So. Okay. That's so interesting. Just somebody out there who's read the book. and Yeah. Well, I'm so glad she recommended it to you that day because <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> here we are. Yes. No, and believe me, I'm happier than you are.
0: So in 2017, when you found Delay Don't Deny and, and started it, and you had been doing 5-2, which for people who aren't familiar with that, it's... Michael Mosley's original plan right. called for five hundred calories two days of the week, and then on the other five days you quote "Eat normally and uh, <laughs> that's that's the hard thing you're right what is what is eating normally right? Those of us that have struggled for for a long time have trouble right. with eating normally or we probably exactly. wouldn't be. <laughs> If we could eat normally, we <laughs> We wouldn't, exactly. Right, exactly. Right. Or normal
1: according to who? <laughs> like
0: normal for me. You know, I've, I've tried 5-2 and also 4-3 and, and different plans along the way. But like you, mm-hmm. when I w- first started doing it, I hadn't, you know, no one even had talked about not drinking diet drinks or, you know, Crystal Light. It really was not until I right. read the Obesity Code in 2016 that I really – had the aha moment of, oh,
1: <laughs> that really wasn't mm-hmm. helping me along the way. I thought it was. I read the obesity code and sort of ignored all those parts. <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing.
0: Because we don't really realize that it is important. Oh, definitely. So, you know, yes. we, we don't – because we're like we, – we pick and choose. I, you know, we're guilty of that. We read something. We pick and choose the part that sounds like we want to incorporate it, but then we ignore the parts that don't
1: sound – Well, and especially – because I think we were so conditioned with the whole calorie model that, you know, you eat less calories, you'll lose weight. Right. And with 5-2, you are eating less calories, obviously, two days a week. So if that's informing us, then, of course, the idea of clean fasting wouldn't really resonate. Right.
0: And I do think that 5-2 and 4-3, you know, if you have those two 500-calorie days a week or the three 500-calorie days a week and you're not fasting clean, it becomes a calorie cycling program. That's exactly all it was, of course. And yes, it's a calorie cycling program and really not fasting. No. In the sense of fasting, especially if you're following the recommendation to divide those 500 calories up in like tiny little meals. Right.
1: Well, I did that. I did that at the beginning. I would have like a boiled egg and then I would have some celery and some turkey during the day. And then I would have, you know, sort of a salad at night. But eventually I sort of came on my own to realize that having that food in one meal was much easier. Right, me too. But I still wasn't clean fasting. I still had a ton of Diet Coke and Crystal Light and, you know, herbal teas with like every sweet flavor. And they probably had flavorings added. I mean, I was definitely not clean fasting. But the interesting thing is that when I did start, after reading your book. And I sort of said, okay, I'm going to start with like 17 or 18 first. And I went to 20 my first day with no problem. So I think in some way I was kind of prepped for it. I didn't have to kind of ease into a longer fest.
0: Well, that's good. After you read Delay, Don't Deny, and you started on October 1st of 2017, how was that experience for you? You said it felt easy during the day.
1: It did. I really sort of stuck to one meal. Once I realized I could fast for 20 hours, then one meal a day became the way of doing intermittent fasting that I chose to follow. You know, and I had, as I said, read your book, and I knew that that's what you were doing and had or had done and worked for you. So the first week I gained, I think I gained like five pounds, but it came off, which a lot of people report, obviously, but it came off pretty quickly. So I wasn't having any difficulty with it, but I was losing very slowly. My loss... You know, probably an average of half a pound a week until I started to gain, and I can sort of that was toward the end of my first year, and I know why I started to gain so why why? well, so it started with almost six weeks of visiting in the u s and when I come to the u s of course I have to eat every food that I deny myself all year because it's not available here so and I'm from Philadelphia. So there were cheesesteaks and there were lots of bagels and of course, Ben and Jerry's ice cream and things that I thought, oh, I don't eat them all year. So even though I fasted for, you know, I think an average of 18 hours the whole time I was there, I gained weight because it was, you know, six hours of ridiculous food every day, which is fine once in a while, but not all day, every day. And then when I came back, sort of, you know, I lost some of it, but I was really struggling to lose it. And During this time, I was also really aware that even when I was losing consistently, though slowly, I have, I know, severe insulin resistance. I've had, you know, I've been diagnosed with type 2 diabetes for 10 years now. And that was one of the things that my doctor said that, you know, sort of you are severely insulin resistant, you know, you have to be careful. And so I kind of knew that if I was going to really get things moving again and keep going that I needed to make a change. And based on the reading I had done, primarily from Jason Fung's books and The Diabetes Code, I knew that it was either going to be doing longer fasts to really sort of address the insulin resistance and go for longer without producing insulin, or go to low-carb. And I'd done low carb before and I hated it because I love my carbs. And so while I do still try to be careful with low carbs, I mean, with the kind of carbs I eat and to limit process stuff sometimes, I decided to give alternate day fasting a try. But I do just want to say that despite losing very slowly, I felt great. The whole time I was doing 24 and I was fasting for 20 hours a day, I was losing slowly, but I had way more energy and my body was definitely changing. I was going down in sizes. So I don't regret that year as a year wasted. I adapted in a great way, but just knew after a year that it was time to kind of change things up.
0: I think that's great information to share with people because some people, especially with with a history, you know, where you've been type 2 diabetic for 10 years. I mean, if you've been type 2 diabetic, you definitely have got issues with insulin, right? I mean, that's anybody who reads The Diabetes Code will will walk away and and understand that and think, oh, you know, why didn't I? Of course. So for listeners out there, if you haven't read The Diabetes Code, if you're, you know, struggling with type 2 diabetes and read that book. I mean, it is really a good one. I didn't read it for a long time. And then finally, I had some time and I read it and I'm like, Mm -hmm. wow, because I had read The Obesity Code. And I'm like, what is this one going to really teach me?
1: Right. And it's not that different except it's more focused on specifically the diabetes sort of element, not just obesity in general. But I
0: really think anybody that has type two diabetes needs to read it. I actually gave it to my dad for Christmas. My dad's a type two diabetic and that was his Christmas gift. So I hope that he
1: appreciated it. It
0: wasn't like, what is That's interesting
1: because I'm actually, I haven't spoken to my parents very much about the fasting and they're both type two but i actually decided actually when this interview goes out that i'm going to share it with them and i'm also going to suggest that they read it
0: yeah cuz it's just really important and it busts a lot of the i guess myths around type 2 diabetes that really everyone thinks are true including i think a lot of the doctors when
1: they- <laughs> of course that it's a life it, it's a disease of lifestyle right just like obesity is a problem of lifestyle it it busts that wide open people believe that It's
0: progressive, and you're doomed Uh, to get worse. uh, Like, you will get worse and worse every
1: year. It's unbelievable. And the fact that, I mean, what blows my mind, especially after reading that, a little bit, I think, after reading the obesity code, but that when people do get worse, ultimately, when sort of doctors are ready to give up on oral medications, they put them on insulin, type 2 diabetics. It defies all logic, and it just blows me away that it's still – a recognized, sort of accepted protocol.
0: Yeah. Because the only thing that the doctors, you know, other, you know, Jason Fung and other doctors that are following his type of protocol, but all that they're looking at is managing blood glucose.
1: Exactly. And that's important, but it's only an indicator. Right, right. It's not the, it's not the symptom actually. Right. So you're kind
0: of chasing the wrong problem as it were. Exactly. <laughs> High blood Exactly.
1: Gl- I still look at my blood sugar, but... In a much bigger picture.
0: And, you know, Jason Fung says when you have really high blood glucose, you can either work to bring it down through giving insulin, like the traditional standard of care, or you can bring it down naturally with fasting or not putting it in your body. (laughs) Exactly. And the two options, yeah. Right, so they're not putting it in my body. That's yeah, <laughs> that's know. the part that I'm the same way. I don't I don't feel well when I don't have carbs. And so, are you like that too? No, I
1: actually when I've done low carb, I did South Beach. I did uh, there was a diet called the Idiot Proof Diet, which was essentially <laughs> South Beach, <laughs> and then I did you know that eight week blood sugar diet of Michael Mosley's, which was no carb or very low carb. I felt fine. Um, But I just, I miss them. I, you know, sort of don't take away my potatoes. Right. I get it. I get it. So you decided to address it by
0: focusing on the longer fast. So a lot of our guests, I think probably maybe every guest I've had so far, does a daily eating window. And you did that for the first year. And then you switched over to alternate daily fasting. Do you do true alternate daily fasting? Okay. Explain how that works for you.
1: Okay. So essentially – I do, instead of doing 24, I literally do 48, give or take an hour here or there. So I'll fast, you know, I'll finish eating at 7 o'clock. So yesterday I finished eating at 7 o'clock, 7 p.m. And so I'll fast all day today at 7 p.m. tonight. I'll hit 24 hours. 7 a.m. tomorrow I'll hit 36 hours. And then by the time I'm ready to eat, whether, you know, sort of 11, 12, I'll be sort of plus 40 hours. And then I'll eat. And I don't get hung up on how long the window is. I keep it long enough to try and have two meals. And I think we'll talk about why that's important probably in a minute. But so, you know, I never do shorter than six hours on an eating day. Most days, the way my meals are timed, I, by seven and a half hours, I'm usually done. So I don't do officially 48, but those are the sort of ranges I aim for.
0: Okay. So that is 40 hours of fasting and then about an eight hour window. So
1: 40 slash eight. Exactly. And then there are two times where I've actually changed, three times I've changed that up. One day I just sort of realized it was a fasting day and I needed to eat. And I just decided I needed to eat. I didn't feel sick, but I felt like Something was off, and so I ate. So then I had two windows in a row and then resumed it the next day. And then another time, I wanted to switch my schedule so I'd be able to eat on New Year's Eve. We were going to a party. So then I decided to actually try something I'd never done before, which was a much longer, not much longer. I did a 66-hour fast, sort of one day to kind of, so I fasted for three days or two days instead of, you know, two and a half days instead of one and a half day, however I normally do it. So, those are the only times in the three plus months that I've done it that I didn't do technically every other day.
0: All right. So, a lot of people are intimidated by the idea of alternate daily fasting because it sounds, you know, yep. like, oh my gosh, I'm going to go 40 hours without eating. That sounds really scary. Yep. Did you feel that way about it?
1: Oh my God. Yes. I was so, I like it was in my head. I would say for actually, it was. Exactly a month, because I came back to Egypt on September 1st, and I started alternate day fasting on October 1st. And I had already given it some thought before that, even before I went away. I thought, you know, this is probably for the insulin issues, something I need to try. And I'd been following a couple of discussions in the Facebook groups of people who had been doing it. And I chatted with a few people who I'm friends with um, outside the groups who were doing it. And they sort of walked me back from the ledge of, I can't do this. And so the best advice I got was that, you know, you're going to have waves of hunger just like you do when you're doing a 20-hour fast. And just like the 20-hour fast, they're going to pass. So one advice I got was that there's usually in the early days a big wave at around 24 hours. And once you're past that, it's smooth sailing. So I just decided, all right, I can do that. I'll try it once. And I said I was going to allow myself 36 hours, which is sort of the minimum for alternate day fasting which is, you know, officially a day and a half. And I also said that if I started to feel sick, I'd allow myself sort of some broth or something light, you know, I wouldn't beat myself up about having to be 100% clean. And with that, I just sort of did it. And 24 hours came and there was a wave of hunger and it passed. I mean, it was sort of as if, you know, someone had really prescribed what would happen. And- I didn't feel, though, the need to eat anything. Once I realized that was going to pass, I probably had some sparkling water or something sort of at that point. And the next day I felt fine. And the first day I went for 41 hours and haven't looked back. I actually, when I started, I said I would go for shorter. And I also said I'll try it three days a week. I wasn't going to do official alternate day. And after my window the first day, I'm like, oh, I want to fast again. I'm I'm done eating now. And so it just sort of immediately when I started it, I realized that the alternate day part of it felt great. It feels great to sort of not eat. I really feel energized. I mean, I definitely get into ketosis much more than I did on 24. I feel it in the difference in my energy, the difference in my having trouble sleeping, but also um, sort of having a longer window and sort of being able to sort of have breakfast in the morning and then say, oh, I'm still going to sort of have dinner later you know, sort of that's also been really fun. Once I started, it clicked, but I was really nervous to start.
0: Yeah, I I really do hear that a lot. And so people who are thinking, you know, do I need to try alternate daily fasting? It would be for people who, like Rachel, have been having a daily eating window approach for a while and losing a whole lot more slowly than they would like. Or If you suspect that you have insulin resistance to the degree that you may need some longer fasts, but you don't want to change what you're eating, then that would be a sign that maybe you should try.
1: Mm, Yeah, I agree. But I think at the same time, it's important to say that most people or lots of people don't have to try it and shouldn't feel like just because it's out there, you need to do it. That's true. Um, You know, if you're having success with, you know, 18.6 or 24 or whatever you're doing, 95. Don't feel the need to change it up and don't feel that, it's, you know, you're not competing with anyone. So like somebody does a longer fast than you doesn't mean they're doing it better. They're just doing it differently.
0: That's excellent advice. And you're right. Don't feel like you have to try it unless you have pinpointed. And, you know, Rachel did the daily eating window for a year before she switched over. And you may go back to the daily eating window at some point.
1: Yeah, well, I actually am going back to it this week because we have a five-day vacation planned and we're going to a resort where we have half board, so two meals a day. And neither of us are breakfast eaters. My husband doesn't fast, but he's also not a big breakfast person. So we'll probably do lunch and dinner and I'll do, you know, probably eighteen six, nineteen five, and, you know, a small meal and then a main meal. I'm a little nervous about that, but I also know that, you know, certainly when I hit goal, I don't expect to Keep doing alternate day fasting. So I think it's good to kind of be open to doing what you need to do at the moment.
0: Yeah, I think so. And I would do the exact same thing if I were going so, on a fancy vacation.
1: So, I know <laughs> your, your sort of cruise reports. <laughs> I know. Haven't I haven't gone unnoticed.
0: I have fifty-five days till the next delayed on tonight cruise, and I'm so excited. I know. By the, I'm by so the time jealous. this this episode actually will air on February seventh, so by the time oh, it comes good. out, I will only have. Less than a month, so. (laughs) Oh,
1: yay. Okay, well, those of us who won't be there (laughs) are going to be following
0: it. One of these
1: years. One of these years. One of
0: these years. Well, we've already announced the 2020 cruise. So anybody that's not in the Delay, Don't Deny cruise group that's interested, you can search for it on Facebook. We'll put a link to it in the show notes. But we have so much fun. We've already started planning the 2020 cruise. Wow. And it's going to be, yeah, this one is really exciting. We're going out of Charleston, South Carolina in June of 2020. And we're going to Key West and then (gasps) Havana, Cuba.
1: Oh my God, I'm coming. I'm going to make it
0: happen. (laughs) I'm Cuba has been on my list
1: for so long. Me too. And June is better for me than what this one's in March, right? Right.
0: Well, I would like to apologize to everybody about the March date because I picked that (laughs) because I was retiring from teaching and I was so excited that I was going to be free to go somewhere in March. I didn't think the rest of the world might not be free. So this one's a little smaller, but June is a better date for most people. Yeah. um, It's also a little more expensive, which is another reason I picked March. So Right. June's a little more pricey because everybody's, you know, able to go on vacation. So demand is higher. But when um, the person that helps with – who plans these cruises, her name's Becky, and she's amazing. Mm. And when she sent me the possible – some options to choose from, I just zeroed in on this Cuba one immediately. Mm. So – I hope you know.
1: Once you join Cuba, I'm like, I will do everything possible. Thank you so much for telling me.
0: Well, yeah. Well, yeah. So, everybody find find that in the show notes. Go to the Delay, Don't Deny cruise group. Make sure to answer the questions. But we would love to have y'all join us on that cruise. It's a really good time. And as we just discussed, we do not fast all the time on a cruise. (laughs) Good thing. somebody did tell a story, though, the other day. They went on a cruise, and they didn't realize it was a cruise. Like, there was a big group on it from a major diet program had, like, gotten a group together to go on it. And they had Mm -hmm. daily weigh-ins on the cruise.
1: Oh, God. Can you imagine? No, 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 no.
0: no, (laughs) So no, no. we will not have daily (laughs) weigh-ins. So many no's. And we will also (laughs) not look at you weird if you're eating three meals a day. Because you know what? I'll be there at brunch at least once myself, so.
1: And having never been on one of your cruises, I still wanna say, and I think I know this from your groups, that you know, there are lots of people who would say, I'm not going on a cruise, I don't have a cruise body. And that in Jin's Facebook groups, and I assume this is true for the people who go on the cruise, there is zero judgment right. about anybody I mean, at at all, but certainly not about, you know, sort of, oh, why is she wearing a bathing suit? None of that. Well, that's true. None of that. We all,
0: you know, are there with the bodies that we have. You know, my body is not perfect. I may be wearing a small size now, but I weighed 210 pounds. And I also had two babies. And I also have had cellulite ever since I was a skinny teenager. So my body's not perfect. You know, I, I would be on those, you know... If someone took a picture of my thighs, they'd be like, look at her thighs. Whatever. We don't care. We're we're going down the water slide in our bathing suits no matter what size we are. That was actually the most fun we had on the last cruise. We all just ran up to the water slide, and we didn't care. It was just fun. I know. I
1: saw the pictures. It looked so fun. It was
0: fun. We have a really great time. Promo code IF Stories 10 to get your magnesium breakthrough and find out this month's gift with purchase. That's BIOPtimizers.com slash IF Stories. Promo code IF Stories 10. I'm going to go back to something you said a few minutes ago about the importance of having a true up day when you're following an alternate daily fasting protocol. What we don't want to do is get into an overly restrictive mindset. You know, people think that if fasting is good, more fasting must be better. And so if you're going to fast for 40 hours and then have an eight-hour eating window with two meals, wouldn't it be better to fast for 47 hours and have a you know one-hour eating window Why do we not want to do that?
1: Exactly. I wasn't really that consciously aware of that when I started, but I just knew that the advice I would gotten from other people was, you know, do a longer window. And then I went and reread, I think it was a section either in the Diabetes Code or in the Ultimate Guide to Fasting, both of which come from Jason Fung, and maybe in both, sort of that really explained the importance of, you know, refeeding so that your body doesn't, one, think that you're now going into restriction because that's what messed up our metabolisms to start with and which is why traditional diets haven't been working for us. Plus the whole nutrient. I mean, you can't get enough nutrients in your body if you're only eating for one hour every two or three days. It's just physically impossible. And it works. I mean, this is the thing. I've never heard from anyone who does alternate day fasting with any consistency with a longer window who says, yeah, but I'm not losing or I'm not finding whatever benefits they were looking to find. One thing that's really interesting is that, you know, I measure my blood sugar every morning, sort of my fasted blood sugar. And so on the days where I wake up and I'm 12 or 13 hour fasted, I measure it. And the days that that I wake up and I'm, you know, 40 hours fasted, I measure it. And yes, it's lower after the 40 hours, but it's also been consistently lower than it was on 24 when I was doing one meal a day on the days that I do eat. And I eat almost double the amount on those days than I was eating. So if I had done a four-hour window, you know, six months ago and took my blood sugar the next day, it would be higher than it is, well, take it after an eight-hour window and two meals. It's not doing damage, whether it's, you know, sort of in terms of um, insulin or, you know, calories, which we don't count. But, yeah, and I'm losing consistently. How did the weight
0: loss pick up? You said you had been losing about half a pound a week. What's, what's been happening?
1: Toward the end, I gained. So my overall pounds down after a year was just over 10. And I was okay with it because as I said, my size had changed and I learned you know, a ton and had lots of other sort of non-scale victories. So say 10 or 12 pounds after a year, after three months of the alternate day fasting, I was down another 18 pounds. Wow! So in three months, I almost doubled what I did in a year. It was easy. So that's tapered off a little bit. I actually, really interestingly, I I had mentioned that I did a longer fast, 66 hours. I was at an all-time low after that, but immediately the next day gained it back and then some. And people say, you don't do longer fasts, extended fasts for weight loss. You do them for healing. There was a noticeable change in my blood sugar numbers after that for the good, but my weight went up a little bit. And so I've been sort of working that back off now. That was only a, a week ago that I did that. So I've been working that back off, which I, it causes me zero concern because you know the inches are coming down, my blood sugar is coming down, my weight is coming back down again to sort of that all-time, it's not quite at that all-time low, but it's getting back there. The difference in every kind of measurable thing that I want to check, which is really weight and blood sugar readings and um, blood pressure, those have all been tremendous since I started this.
0: Well, that's fabulous. Yeah. And you also have recently had some medical tests with your A1c, haven't you?
1: Yes, I have. So officially so, I, now- I can't wait to hear this. I'm so excited. For the first time in, it's been literally 10 years, I think this week or next week that I was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. And I was off the charts when I was first diagnosed in terms of my blood sugar readings and my HbA1c, which is a three-month average of blood hemoglobins that somehow indicates- you know, how much sugar is in your blood over time. So I am now officially, as of a test two days ago, pre-diabetic. And I was actually really close to the not being diabetic at all range. And so I'm hoping by then I was at the very, very low end of the pre-diabetic range. So that was just unbelievable to me. And that, honestly, while I would love to sort of be at a goal size, which I'm not there yet, this matters more than that. Reversing diabetes to me is something that I honestly, even after reading the diabetes code and after seeing it happen to other people, I never believed it was going to be something I could say.
0: That's really amazing. And we can't stress the importance of that enough. You know, we are taught and told and read that diabetes is progressive and it will get worse and the best you can do is manage it. But you have gone to the pre-diabetes range. Yep. After being off the
1: charts. Yeah, What's really interesting is what doctors will say, and if you look this up online on WebMD or whatever, they'll give you an expected, like an appropriate range for diabetics. So your A1c should be below seven if you're diabetic, right? You're still diabetic. I mean, sort of anything above 5.7 is either pre-diabetes or diabetes. So, you know, they don't say try and bring it lower. But I was at one point, I think it was like, 12 or 13 or something. Just really sort of when I was first diagnosed and I was close to 300 pounds at that point. Wow. But a year ago when I was tested, it was 8.8. So in that year, I brought it from 8.8 to 5.9. And if I get below 5.7, I can say I'm not diabetic anymore. So that's as much a goal, if not more of a goal to me at this point than reaching a goal size or a goal weight.
0: Because you can actually see this is improving your health forever. Of course. forever.
1: Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. That is
0: so exciting. The- I didn't have any official diagnosis as, you know, pre-diabetic or diabetic, also because I probably don't go to the doctor enough, <laughs> but I, I wonder, I wish I did have all that data.
1: Well, I'll tell you something. I never went to the doctor. I mean, I was like, you know, extremely overweight, knew I was unhealthy Unless I got sick, you know, I had sort of a sore throat or something or, you know, had a fever, I never thought about going to the doctor. And when I was first diagnosed with diabetes, I went in because my ankles were swollen and my foot hurt. And I went to an orthopedist. And they took my blood pressure and they said, can you go over to that part of the clinic over there? like and they pointed me somewhere else and they were ready to hospitalize me they said my blood pressure was like off the charts they couldn't believe i was walking and driving and don't you feel dizzy and you know and i said i have a kid at home i'm not you can't put me in the hospital now and i felt fine fine for me i mean yes i was constantly out of breath and everything always hurt but that was my normal so they said okay come back tomorrow you're going to have a whole every test run and that's when i found out that you know i had severe hypertension i was off the charts, diabetic type two that, you know, it was like, but it wasn't because I took care of myself. It was just by chance. I had a pain in my foot. I wanted it to go away. And I ended up finding out, you know, something much more important. I think a
0: lot of us are are like that. I know when I was overweight, I didn't want to, I didn't want to know, (laughs) you know, I I didn't want to hear it.
1: (laughs) Of course. Yeah. I, you know, I didn't want to know. I didn't get on the scale. I mean, you know, it was like a picture I saw that I was like, oh my God. Really? And I started screaming at my husband and my son like, why didn't you tell me this was what I looked like? And they looked at me like I was crazy because that's what I looked like. <laughs> it was like
0: It's like hello, we have mirrors. You yeah, can look, look yeah. at yourself. But you know, you're right. I think a lot of us have body image issues that go both directions. For <laughs> me, I didn't exactly. really realize how big I was until exactly. I saw it in a
1: photo. Yeah, exactly. Exactly that. I knew I was overweight, but I wasn't that huge. You know, in my mind. And then you see it, and you're yes. like, oh. <laughs> right. Well, that's what I mean. I was like, why didn't yeah. you guys tell me? <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: and then it goes the other way, and then you, you lose the weight, and you still don't really see it. You're, you know, Because exactly. we see ourselves no, every day, and it doesn't register.
1: It's so true. I mean, now that, you know, I'm still not where I want to be, but I went from a size 22, and I'm now wearing a size 12 consistently. Oh, that's exciting. I have, one, I have one pair of size 10 jeans, but, you know, sort of for the most part, size 12. When I go shopping, I'm still looking at the 16s. I'm like, yeah, that 12 or 14 is not going to really fit. And you know, I do it every time. I've yet to sort of go in and say like, oh, this looks like the right size and pick the right size. Because
0: those clothes look small,
1: don't they? They well, they don't look like they're for me. That's for sure. Yeah,
0: right. Oh, I get it. I get it. I can remember that feeling too, and picking something up and is this really going to fit me? Right. And then you put it on and you're like, oh, it does. (laughs) And and
1: it's so funny because the one pair of size 10 jeans I have, I was looking for a 12 or 14. I knew in that store that, you know, I had had a pair of 16s from that store. I think it was American Eagle. And they were falling off me now. So I knew. So I looked for a 14 or a 12 and they didn't have them. So I said, let me try on the 10 just to see how far I have to go. And I can't still mostly fit into tens. This one probably was a little bit generous size, but it fit perfectly. And I was like, oh, look at that. And I cried in the dressing room, and I, I sent pictures to my oh. sister, and pictures, you know. I probably sent you a picture. I was like, you know. Probably.
0: Of. I don't know what it is about size 10 was like a magical size for me too. When I, I had been a 16 W probably really an 18 mm-hmm. and was lying to myself and, you know, wearing stretchy things. But when I got to size 10, I was so excited. Yeah. Yeah. Like I like went nuts at size 10 right. and bought like so many clothes and they didn't fit me very long. <laughs> like I was right out of those clothes. And, right. You know. <laughs> yes. But I, I spent way too much money because that was,
1: I finally felt good yeah. in
0: my body. Yeah.
1: No, exactly. No, that's exactly So
0: I, it. I totally know that feeling. The first time I put something on and I was like, oh my gosh, yeah, I feel normal. Yeah. I feel normal in And these so, clothes. you
1: know, it's interesting because I know most people who've or at a place where they say they've reached goal, are close to four or six. People who are my height. I'm also, you know, sort of like you, not particularly tall. I'm 5'3". And so I set my size goal as a size eight. Realistically, I actually expect I'll probably get below that over time. But, you know, but I'm you not, will. you know, yeah. sort of to me, eight is like beyond unheard of and miraculous and, you know, sort of.
0: You'll be an eight and then you'll be a six, and you just be aware you'll probably get yes. to a four. The first time you put uh, on a four, you're gonna be like, What? Uh,
1: yeah, well, I'll there call you, you again, then there I'll cry go. then too, yeah, I well, promise. I
0: can't wait for that day. Cause there's just something about it when we've been all the way up the charts, it it just there's just something psychologically pleasing about those single digit clothes.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's similar to you know people who were sort of topping two hundred pounds or topping three hundred pounds and going into the next hundred. Yeah, it's you know, it, there's something. Those numbers are really arbitrary, but there's something psychologically very strong about you know, sort of making those shifts.
0: Or even those those tens digits can be oh you know, absolutely the difference absolutely. between a hundred and thirty point two and a hundred and twenty nine point nine is right is really you know did you exhale but, right. <laughs> but it's just like you know for me that was like what i just needed to see that too on the scale of <laughs> yeah absolutely <laughs> exactly
2: this episode is brought in part to you by audible your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500, 500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500, 500
0: Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. talk about other health benefits that you've seen. You talked about your A1c being down, that you're now officially in the, quote, pre-diabetic range. Right? Have you had any other health benefits besides just the
1: blood glucose and the diabetes? So, yeah. I mean, I think um, blood pressure. I was in the sort of high stage two range, which is like really hypertensive, you know, high blood pressure. And I'm now consistently in the low stage one range, which is like You have high blood pressure, watch it, not like you're about to keel over. So my blood pressure numbers have come down a lot. I have obviously much more energy. I think that's consistently reported. And I have a lot more confidence. I've always been someone who is sort of successful professionally and outgoing socially, but always very, you know, sort of uncomfortable knowing that I was the biggest one in the room or that I was, you know, sort of someone who just never managed to control my weight. or and I used to feel guilty eating in public because people would look at me like, oh, why is she eating that? Look at her. And now I don't care what people think about what I'm eating, when I'm eating it, because I know I'm doing fine. And there's also, if you don't mind, sort of a mental health benefit that I've been thinking about a lot. So I remember sort of years ago being at a Weight Watchers meeting. And during this time, I was working full-time, sort of early in my career, but working full-time at a, you know, job that I loved and it was a serious job. And I was also working toward my doctorate at that time. And I was in a meeting and it was in downtown San Francisco. And most of the, it was mostly women as are most Weight Watchers meetings and mostly professional women because it was held in the middle of the week at a lunch hour in the middle of the city. And the leader said something about like, don't you think it's awful that you guys are all very successful? You control successfully every aspect of your life, yet you can't get a handle on this. You can't sort of control your weight. And every time over the years that I failed at another diet, that I, you know, regained the weight or, you know, sort of didn't manage to stick with it, I felt like I was the failure. I mean, her voice rang true with me over and over again. And I think one of the greatest sort of mental health victories about doing intermittent fasting is finally realizing that it's not your fault. That The reason we failed so many times and tried hard, I mean, I don't think there are very many people who are ever as overweight as we were who this is the first thing they're trying, you know, I mean, sort of particularly if people are, are, you know, our age. We've tried lots of things. Yeah. And knowing now from your book, from Dr. Fung's books that- The problem is metabolic. The problem is hormonal. The problem is not lack of self-control and we're just too weak to care. But for years, that's what we thought. And so I think kind of really recognizing that, you know, it's taken this long, not because you weren't good enough for it or you didn't deserve it, has been incredibly freeing.
0: I really think that's an important piece of it because you're right. I have a doctorate, I'm was a successful woman at the time who weighed 210 pounds. And I felt like, why mm-hmm. can't I figure this out? Yep. You know, what's wrong with me? And, you know, for that Weight Watchers leader to say that to y'all, you know, you, you're good at everything else. Too bad you're bad at this. Well, no. I
1: think her point was saying, like, with these Weight Watchers tools, you're going to conquer this too. But, right. you know, okay. she, was, she said it in a, <laughs> in a nicer way than I probably and, uh, put it. Though she wasn't but, actually but, the nicest know? leader, so maybe she didn't.
0: <laughs> I think we we say that to ourselves exactly. even if she didn't mean it that way yeah. and said it in a really gentle exactly. way and trying to be pep talky I felt exactly like, that. like I remember one time we had a sofa and it was a really cheap piece of garbage sofa and like it broke underneath and it was where I sat and I'm like well I can't call the company cuz they're going to say well of course it broke you look how fat you are you know, I mean, we have thoughts right. like that. I right. know okay. it was, I just was a once a
1: garbage piece of furniture. I, but <laughs> Right. I was once in a food court at a mall with my husband and son. And we sat down at one of the chairs near McDonald's. And the chair broke underneath me. And I know those chairs, I mean, people at that food court were not all thin. There are lots of obese people wandering around the malls. The chair was obviously really weak. And yes, I was overweight, but it was, that's not what broke the chair. I mean, it wasn't like my fault that the chair broke. But here I am sitting, you know, with my Big Mac, being overweight, with a broken chair, thinking like, oh my God, like, of course this, you know, and that stuck with me. That line about this is, you know, sort of that, I mean, that sort of concept of it being our fault and us not being good enough literally stuck with me, you know, for 40 plus years of diet history until now.
0: I think most of us, we know exactly what you're talking about because you know, even my husband, bless his heart, he said to me one time, you know, just eat less. You know, just like that. Like, duh, just eat less. And I'm like, okay, thank you. I never heard that.
1: (laughs) Right. I have a nephew who in, when he was probably... God, this was a long time ago. So he was probably 10, 11 years old, who actually like said to my sister, his mom, like, can't it, Rachie, just go on The Biggest Loser? Like, and he said it so lovingly, like it wasn't a criticism. And thankfully now, thanks to you, I know that The Biggest Loser would have been another failure. (laughs) Because, you know, you were the one who sort of shared in your book that contestants on The Biggest Loser, and I can't remember what unbelievable percent have gained back all their weight right because their
0: metabolism slows there was a study of course. that came out right as i was writing delay don't deny but it was in 2016 and it was the you know the biggest loser study and it talked yep. about how i mean we all know that metabolic rate theoretically is tied to your size so someone with a larger size would theoretically just require more calories because they're bigger to sustain the larger mass whereas someone who's smaller requires fewer calories And there are all these formulas that we've all probably tried where you can, like, put in, you know, your height, your weight, and get a calculation of how many calories you're, quote, supposed to eat, right? Of course, when people lose weight, they don't require as much energy to maintain a lower weight. But what they found in the Biggest Loser study is these contestants who had done the program— Not only did they require fewer calories to maintain their weight, but it was 500 calories fewer per day than predicted based on their new body size. So that's the key. So someone who had never dieted who was that
1: size could eat 500 more calories a day than they could. I read that, obviously, in your book, and that's what really kind of brought home what I had already read. I had read The Obesity Code before, the idea that, you know, sort of it's not... A calorie in, calorie out solution. It's, you know, and it kind of, you know, that it is metabolic and it is, I mean, it's metabolic, but it's not metabolic driven only by calories and it's metabolic driven by hormones.
0: And our bodies will adjust to try to save us because our bodies don't know that we are really trying to look good in our, you know, size eight genes. Our bodies think, oh my gosh, something terrible is going on. Exactly. There's a terrible famine, and we're running from, from you know invaders constantly. They don't know you're on a treadmill. They think you're trying to escape. Yeah, so we
1: better be storing all that fuel.
0: Yeah, and your body adjusts because it wants to protect you and keep you alive. So for every person who really thinks that you are failing because you could just eat less and move more. There's a lot of research to support that does not work long-term.
1: Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I, you just reminded me. I, a few years ago, started writing a blog, a really random blog, just with my, like, thoughts in my head that day. And I wrote one post about when I was doing 5-2 about losing weight. And I actually quoted in there that it's all about eat more, move less. And I really probably should – I don't write that yeah. blog anymore, but I probably should go back and sort of amend that one. Well,
0: I used to think that, too. When I first started intermittent fasting, depending on what you read, there are people with opinions, that say intermittent fasting only works because
1: you eat fewer calories. Well, look, we see it, Jen, in your Facebook groups. We still constantly get people who are new to intermittent fasting who say that they need to count calories or restrict their calories. And over time, they learn that this is not what it's about. But it's been ingrained in us. And it's, you know, it's what the government tells us. It's what the food people tell us. It's what the diet industry for sure tells us. Yeah. You know, of course we think that.
0: But it's not just, I mean, you can overeat. This is the thing that's important. You can overeat with intermittent fasting. It's not, you know, a a magic free-for-all card that if you just, you know, have this magic fasting time, you can also overeat and then lose weight. You know, we know that's not true. You can eat too much food. But intermittent fasting also provides metabolic and hormonal benefits that you would not see if you took the same
1: volume of food and spread it out over the course of a day. And that's the key. Right, that is the key. Remember when I said that I sort of ate a lot over the summer, even in a short window, but I still gained weight? I was completely ignoring the signals that we develop during intermittent fasting where we recognize satiety and we know that we've had enough. And those are very real. But when I was confronted with, oh, I'm not going to be able to eat a cheesesteak for another 10 months, I better have it now, even though I'm not hungry. Exactly. Exactly. So and you so, ate the whole thing, but you finished, you it. know, sort of, yeah. I was overdoing it without a question, but I was also ignoring one of the key things that actually intermittent fasting had given me, which was my body's ability to sort of actively acknowledge that I'm full and I'm happy and satisfied and it's time to stop eating. You know, so I went back to a pattern of completely ignoring satiety signals that had been with me for most of my life.
0: I think that is so important to know because sometimes we see people, you know, overly interested in the number of calories, but then we see people, and of course we know that's wrong, but we also see people who say things like, it doesn't matter how much you eat. Calories don't matter. Food, just eat whatever. No, that's not it either. (laughs) The answer is in the middle. (laughs) Exactly. No, you should not count exactly. and restrict consciously. No, you should not eat past your full signals, though either. So, well, the answer is gin and feast without fear.
1: Yeah, that's so, <laughs> that's where the answer.
0: Is. That's my second you know, book. Is, yeah,
1: exactly. You know, which sort of talks about healthy eating without you know insanity. Well, I'm
0: really really proud of that second book. So I'm I'm glad that you liked it. I don't yeah. I don't push it as much or talk about it as much. Yeah. But I learned a whole lot by writing it. The reason. I wrote it is because at that time, it was 2017, and we were you know, having the Facebook groups, and a lot of people were reading the obesity code and coming away from the obesity code with the idea that every single person should then be low-carb because that's best, right? But which really is not how I left the obesity code feeling, but for somehow some people got that idea because right, I think right, that right. a lot of Dr. Fung's patients do very well with low-carb, so everybody assumes that that's right for everybody. So I was like, you know, I really want to dig into the science of all these different ways of eating right. and really see, is there one best way that I could actually find, you know, I'm not going into it with a preconceived notion. What am I going to find? Right. So I started digging in. It led me in some really interesting directions where I made a lot of connections to what actually may be, you know, an ideal way to, to figure out what works for you.
1: Yeah, no, and I actually—it's on my list to reread. Actually, oh, good,
0: good. So I think I might do a digging deeper study with that book too at some point. Oh,
1: that would be awesome! So excited to get started on that.
0: Right now, we're we're doing a digging deeper study in one of my Facebook groups where we're going through I'm Delay, so don't excited. deny chapter by chapter, and that may be something that that I'd like to do later. Okay, I'm in. Awesome. <laughs> so. I know that you're here sharing your story with the world, but in your daily life, do you share about intermittent fasting or do you keep it to yourself?
1: So right now, we have one son who's at university, so I live with my husband. He knows, absolutely, and my son knows, but they also knew when I was doing 5-2. And a couple of my close friends who I see regularly know, I don't sort of talk about it beyond that. I actually haven't told my parents because I think they'd be incredibly worried about it not being healthy, and I just wasn't in the head to sort of have that conversation. But before this airs, I actually am going to tell them about it because I think they'll be very excited about the A1C and the diabetes reversal results. I went out to lunch one day on a day that I was eating oh, yeah. after I'd started ADF with a group. It was like an expat meetup group, so I didn't know most of the women. But the woman who had organized it was a friend of mine, and she actually announced at the time, she was like, oh, Rachel only eats every other day. And I was like, stop it.
0: what is this madness yeah
1: (laughs) right so you know it's like i don't even know these women we don't so yes and no i mean the people in my sort of daily circle know but i don't sort of share it with the with other people unless they ask
0: well that makes sense i'm glad you're gonna share it with your parents now though because if they're you know type 2 diabetic they will totally be thrilled by your A1 c results because they will understand how how dramatic and impressive that is.
1: And I'm not necessarily expecting they would start following this at all. They're sort of managing it their way with their doctors, but I don't want them to worry about me doing something unhealthy.
0: Oh, that's true. I I wish they would read the diabetes code because that's just so eye-opening. I hope my dad's reading it. I don't know. (laughs) Um, (laughs) We are almost out of time, which I can't believe. There's so many more things I wanted to get into. But as we wrap it up, I always like to ask, you know, what would you tell somebody just starting out with intermittent fasting or, you know, what do you wish you knew when you started, that sort of thing?
1: So when I started, as I said, I came from 5'2", so I was sort of in the head already. But what I would say is, you know, don't overcomplicate things and don't be afraid. That, you know, it's a scary change if this is if you're used to eating all day every day, which most of us were. Start with a longer window. Focus on just doing the clean fast. It's easy to shorten your window later if you decide that's what you need to do and it will get easier. And it will get easier is actually huge, that it may not be easy the first day or two or three, but very quickly it does get easier. And, you know, when I first started, I thought 20 hours sounded insane. And now I can do 20 hours without ever once looking at the clock. And I thought 36 hours sounded insane. And now I do 40 and rarely look at the clock. So it does get easier. And then the last thing I would say is, There are lots of different protocols of fasting, whether it's different timing, whether it's alternate day fasting. Don't be intimidated by other protocols, like focus on what you're doing. And when it's time to make a change, you'll kind of know. And then you can come to the Facebook groups and ask for guidance on your particular situation. But don't worry about all the other things that you're not doing. Focus on what you're doing and focus on the clean fast.
0: I think that's important because we see people coming in and, you know, you could have been one of these people. You could have come into the Facebook group and said, this is not working for me. Intermittent fasting doesn't work. Right. Because you were losing very, very slowly and then you started to gain. But you had read enough and you understood the science behind it enough to pinpoint why. Right. You knew why it was slow. You knew your body had insulin resistance. You knew that you had a really luxurious vacation. And so you said, you know what? I know the science and I know what I need to do next.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So explore. And I learned that. I don't think I would have known that if I had just read the book and been left on my own. I mean, the support groups are so helpful in kind of opening your eyes to things that, you know, when it's time.
0: Yeah. And for people who are struggling, The key here is, you know, Rachel modeled this beautifully. She didn't panic. She said, all right, it's time to tweak, and I'm going to find something that works. And that's the thing. I genuinely believe there is a protocol out there with intermittent fasting that everyone could find, but it's not necessarily going to be what worked for Rachel. Exactly.
1: I don't know if you remember this. and I posted once on my personal Facebook page when I was actually, I think when your book went on sale, and I wanted to kind of share it with the world. And somebody commented on mine that, you know, it doesn't work for everybody. And, you know, this is someone who isn't in any of our groups. And you and a number of other moderators from your group sort of all said, like, it does work for everyone. You just have to find what works for you.
0: There's a way of tweaking it.
1: Absolutely. The question is, what does it mean, works, right? Exactly. Thank
0: you. You know, what does works mean? Does works mean you're a size two? Right.
1: Right. It doesn't mean losing (laughs) 10 pounds in a month. Yes. Or that you lose 10 pounds in a month or that, yeah, you know.
0: Works is is a a term, that you know, maybe what it's doing is it's correcting your insulin resistance and that's what your body needs first.
1: Right. So, and that's why, right. And that's why I said my insulin numbers and my sugar numbers are more important to me right now than the scale which is of course the traditional measure of does this work
0: right but if you correct the underlying problems Mm -hmm. then everything falls into place Uh, one would hope yeah yeah i actually (laughs) lost weight more quickly at the very end and most quote diets that doesn't happen but i did because i think that my body had healed to the point that it was ready to let go of that fat right Well, this has been an absolute pleasure, Rachel, and I have enjoyed every minute of our conversation. So thank you so much for being here with me.
1: So have I. I can't believe it's over. (laughs) That was fun. I know. It always
0: goes too quickly. Okay. I will talk to you later, and I'm looking forward to 2020 Cuba. I
1: know. So excited.
0: Okay. All right. Thanks, Jen. Bye-bye. Do you have an intermittent fasting story to tell? Intermittent Fasting Stories listeners will receive a free offer if you mention that you heard it on the podcast.